What a blessing. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little unfair to Jai Kumar to have him stand up and say, Brother, wrap 30 years of ministry in a few minutes, right? It's hard to do. We spent time with him. I spent time with him this week. And so many of you have. And I found myself reading his presence wanting more. More stories, more of the encounters, more of the opportunities, and um, just more of whatever he wanted to talk about. I have learned early on, even though I, I have uh, quite a few gray hairs now, I have learned early on that when you get in the presence of uh, someone like uh, Jai Kumar or Pastor Darren or many others who have dug wells that I'm now enjoying drinking from, I try to keep my mouth shut, my ears open, and my heart attuned to the Spirit. Um, you do well to get near him as close as you can. Um, don't get all up on him, but get close to him as close as you can during our fellowship time. Those of us that have had time with him are going to try to hang back so those of you that haven't can enjoy being with him. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter number 1. We're going to finish up the first chapter of John um, today. Uh, and shockingly, the goal is that we will do all of chapter 2 next week. You say, there's no way. Well, we'll see. Now, that's the plan. We'll see how it works out. While you are turning there in John chapter number 1, we're going to give our attention. We'll start uh, where the reading was in verse 35. But just before we get there, a clever illustration came to mind this week that uh, I thought I would share with you. Um, now, this didn't happen. So it's an illustration, but it's, uh, it's, it's very helpful. Jesus ascends into heaven after the resurrection and is greeted by the angel band. He's, he's been on earth. He's risen from the grave. He's been seen by some 500 people, and he's there in heaven. And the great angel band, one of the spokespeople says, Jesus, what an incredible work. That was amazing. Your death on the cross, your resurrection, all that you have done Wow. Um, how do you want to get the word out, Jesus? We're ready. We can do ladders. We can do hillsides. We can do great choruses. We can be loud. We can be quiet. We can show up with swords. We will tell everybody. You just give the command. And Jesus says, do you remember the disciples that were with me, especially the 12? And the angels respond, um, yeah. Yeah, so the rabbi school dropouts, the fishermen, the hot-headed Peter. Yeah, those guys. We, we, we remember those guys. Jesus says they will share the good news with somebody, and they will share the good news with somebody. And, and, and in all the world, the gospel will be proclaimed to all creation. Repentance and forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, beginning with these apostles and disciples. And the angels respond, wow, Jesus, you are awesome and amazing. But, you know, we were, we were kind of up close and saw these guys. Do you have a plan B? Because they're, they're not the cream of the crop. And Jesus says, no. You see, the way that the good news of the gospel gets out is not 
by broadcast so much. It's by one-on-one us sharing the faithful message of transformation that God has imparted to us. That's the way it started here. It's a fictional account, of course, but it hits a little close to home. This morning, as we continue, we see so much unfolding in these matter of days. Remember, in John 1, we're dealing with days here. There's a day and then a day and a day. We talk about that. But John went all the way back to the beginning, even before the beginning, when he started with us. He took us back there when he declared, in the beginning was the word. He talks about the creative agency of God and then the lamb that has come forth. And now he's going to show us in John's gospel here, a handful of ordinary men who will follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and point others to Jesus. I mean, really, spoiler alert, if you could wrap up the Christian life and what it looks like to be a disciple, it means to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to point others to Jesus. I'm not going to pray and give an invitation there, though. I've got some work to do, okay? The first header I would give you this morning, we're going to look at these four witnesses to Christ. Let's look at John the Baptist's first. John's witness to Christ happens in the first couple of verses here. Last week, we spoke at length about the ministry of John the Baptist. We talked about this peculiar messenger and this powerful message that he had for everyone who would hear. He would proclaim that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and call men and women to repent and to change their orientation Godward. He he was not peculiar just because he ate bugs and honey. I have to confess When I thought about locusts and honey, I thought surely somebody has gotten a website called locustandhoney.org. It exists, although it's parked right now. So if that's you, God bless you. I can't wait to see what you launch there. Locustandhoney.org. That was not his website. That's not why he was a strange man. He was not strange because he wore camel's hair coat. They sell those at Brooks Brothers now. That's not what's up. He was peculiar because here's a prophet who had a lot of attention, but his life's goal and ministry's aim was, watch this, to point away from himself to Jesus. Now you talk about a counter-cultural message and leadership style, then John was peculiar. How about today, in this culture of celebrity pastor, John's methodology is peculiar. Every chance he gets, he's pointing away from himself to something bigger, to the only lamb who could save. That's a great model for Jesus' followers to point away from themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though John has poured his life and ministry into the two men mentioned here that uh, we just had read for us by Jeremy, the next day, John was standing, verse 35, look at it in your Bibles, was standing with two of his disciples. His disciples mean they have walked with him, they've learned from him. He looks at Jesus, who's walking by, and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Notice something. These men have been with John the Baptist, and here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, Behold, a doctrine. He doesn't say, fix your eyes on this new and exciting worldview. He doesn't point them to a revolution. He doesn't point them to a thing. Doctrine is important and worldview is important. It's all very important. 
But what they needed and what you and I need, friend, is not a formulation of the doctrine of the atonement. We need to experience the doctrine of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb and made new. The gospel centers on Christ, not things about Christ, but Christ himself. We're not giving the world a thing. We're pointing them to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. A gospel-focused, Bible-centered church is a Christ-exalting church. It's one of the reasons Grace Covenant has thrived in these 30-plus years of ministries. It's one of the reasons that Grace Covenant has uh, had long-term relationships with other ministries like BBCM that are gospel-focused, Bible-centered, which means they're Christ-exalting. And the context may look differently. The methodology of evangelism may look differently in an oral tradition than it looks in a written tradition, but it's the same. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be changed by Jesus, and we want to point others to Jesus. John's witness, we spent a lot of time on that last week, but we get introduced to some other characters, shall we say, in the text. Let's look at Andrew's witness, which follows on in verses 37 through 42. So Andrew then points, he was pointed to Jesus by John. He was one of those two disciples. And, and now he points that direction and the invitation from Jesus comes when Jesus says, come and see. Andrew had heard John speak, which means Andrew heard about Christ. Here's a question that I was challenged with as I studied the text this week. If somebody has followed me around for years of discipling, do they know about ministry or do they know the master? Do, do they know about church or do they know about Christ? Do they know about people and how to lead and do something organizationally and strategically? Or do they know how to give an answer for the hope that they have? Because they're living as people of hope. God help me. Come and see, Jesus says. Andrew discovered Jesus through John's witness. Andrew followed Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. That's what the text said that we just read. Jesus turns and says, what are you seeking? And, and they come and, and follow them. He says to them in verse 39, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. What do we know about that? Why are details like that in the Bible? I, I love when they show up. We, we shouldn't spend too much time chasing the minutia, but it is there for a reason. Here's a thought for you. He gets with Jesus at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and spends the evening with him. What kind of conversation did they have that the very first thing he does the next day is go find his brother and point him to Christ? Look at the impact time with Jesus has. Boy, I don't want to chase this and get ahead on application, but can I just say something? When you show me boys and girls and men and women who have had time with Jesus, they don't have to tell me they've spent time with Jesus. You can see it. Amen. You can hear it in the way they speak about God and about and to others. We need to spend time with Jesus. There's not enough teaching and training to make up for our lack of time at the feet of this Nazarene from the other side of the globe. Where are you staying? 
Andrew then shares Jesus with someone that was close to him, but far from Jesus. One of the training tools that we use when I go and, and train and equip churches and believers for evangelism training and discipleship, um, one of the things we use is called Operation Andrew. And I'll give you a few elements of it here, but we use the text here. And it was a pivotal tool that transitioned Billy Graham in his earliest days from just hosting an event for church folk to actually having the church equipped to reach lost people before he ever showed up. One-on-one -on -one evangelism. So here's the way Operation Andrew works. Look around is the first point. Look around for somebody that's near you but far from Jesus. That's what he did. He went to the first person that was closest to him, Andrew did, but far from the Lord. Look around for someone who needs Jesus. Look up to God in prayer. Now, he had spent the afternoon with Jesus. I don't know that you're going to Jesus' house for the afternoon for dinner, but look up to God in prayer and spend time with the Lord over this person. Look out for ways to impact their lives in meaningful ways. Uh, I've, been, I've been totally jaded this week with time with Jai Kumar, and it's impacted even my notes because the way we used to teach this was demonstrate um, a relationship in a way that just builds connection with them. Jai Kumar says it this way. He says, impact their lives so that you can influence their lives. And that's the point here. Look out for ways to impact their lives. Look forward to an opportunity to share the information about the gospel. Look forward to a time, whether it's taking them uh, to, to church, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coffee with them, whatever that looks like, Think about what Andrew did. He brought Simon to Jesus. There's a difference between inviting somebody to a thing and, and going and journeying with them. Now, I know you can't run a bus ministry necessarily and, and, and bring everybody with you. That may not work for you. But here's the difference between these two invitations. If I'm inviting Scott, um, Brother Goldstein, to join me. Let's say Scott doesn't attend here and we have some business relationships together. And I'm like, Scott, hey, I'd love to uh, invite you to church. Uh, we meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the corner of South Boulevard and East Boulevard in Charlotte. Now, that's a personal invitation. I might even hand him an invite card. That's good. Do that. If you're going to do nothing versus that, please do that. Like, start, let's start there. Hear the difference, though. Hey, Scott, this Sunday, I'd love for you to join me at church. We start at 10 a.m., but, but you want to meet me for coffee at 9? Or, or with, is that too early? How about at 10 till, I'll be waiting for you on the front porch, and we'll walk in together, and I'll show you like, where stuff is. Do you hear the difference? I'm waiting for him. I'm expecting. I'm not going to have him come in and do this. Is there a Scott that attends here? Right? It says, what's going on? No. He's going to come in and, and see me. He's walking in with me. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. There's a difference there. Uh, you, you may not be able to go pick them up, but you can make it personal. And then we look after them, which is a missing element in a lot of our church ministry today. I want to tell you something. Whether they receive Christ or reject Christ, God has still put you in this person's life. And if they receive Christ and put their faith and trust in Jesus, man, your work's just getting started. Like you thought you were praying for them before when they were lost. Do you remember what it was like to be a new Christian? Aren't you thankful some folks were praying for you? I mean, you talk about getting confused pretty quickly sometimes. Pray for them. Look after them. Care for them. They don't need 30 books to read. They need time with you and time with the Lord. Andrew impacted Simon Peter, who had his whole identity changed. That's where we finished that, when he encountered Jesus. 
Jesus may not necessarily change your legal name, but I promise you this, he will change your life from the inside out. And now we shift to the next day. Look with me at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go up to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Jesus finds Philip. Let's look at Philip's witness in these handful of verses. And in one more witness we'll see. And you'll see the pattern emerging in all of them. Philip's witness. Jesus finds Philip. Jesus transforms Philip. And then as we read the text on, you'll see Philip is going to find Nathaniel. It's just incredible how all this works together. Look with me at verse 45. Let's continue our reading. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now that's an interesting way to share Jesus, but Philip knew Nathanael and he knew how to speak to Nathanael. It's not the same exact witness that John the Baptist gave. It's not the same one that Andrew gave to Simon Peter. This one Philip knows how to talk to Nathaniel. He goes straight to Nathaniel. Nathaniel didn't respond well at first. He didn't know Jesus, but he knew the Old Testament. Nathaniel says in verses 46 and 47, if you read, uh, Nathaniel responds, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip says to him, Come and see. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Notice what Philip did, impacted by Christ, transformed by Christ, goes and finds someone quickly, speaks to him in a way that he can understand, and connects him to Jesus. And then we see Nathaniel's witness as we finish the text this morning. I told you to move quickly today. What grips Nathaniel? I mean, it didn't really impress Nathaniel initially that he said, hey, we found, some, we found the Messiah Son of Joseph, Nathaniel goes, son of Joseph? The carpenter from Nazareth? No, you didn't find the Messiah. There's no, there's no good thing coming out of Nazareth. You may recall sometime back that one of the greatest evangelistic meetings of the Old Testament that ever happened, happened through the prophet Jonah. Nazareth was where he had come from. But notice his defeat was so, his ending was so bad that the Israelites didn't recognize that that was a good thing that had come out of there. And the way we end matters. That's a side note. We handle that in our series on Jonah. What grips Nathanael? Look at the text. Verses 48 and 49. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So what was it that gripped Nathanael here? I'm going to tell you, it was the omniscience of God. Jesus knew something that only God could know. Nathanael's friends didn't see him under the tree, apparently. Nobody could have gotten word to Jesus that he was there. This was some alone time that Nathaniel was having. He was an exemplary Israelite. He didn't play games. He wasn't deceitful. Now, the word that's used there in the English Standard Version, deceit, 
The word there is dolos, is the word, and it's translated deceit or treachery. The word cunning comes to mind. This is not some slick guy who you're never quite sure what he thinks or what he has to say. Uh, the King James renders the word guile. There was no guile in him. This disposition uh, that Nathaniel had uh, just kind of helped him say it like it was. With gentleness at times, he wasn't quite Peter, uh, flying off the handle oftentimes, but Nathaniel didn't hide his words or meaning. Nathaniel was prepared to know God because he responded so quickly. When he saw Jesus' omniscience, he knew this had to be God, and he believed. He did a complete turnaround from no good thing can come out of Nazareth to this is the rabbi, this is the teacher we've been waiting on, this is the son of God. The old timers would say Jesus had his number and called it that day. I want to tell you something this morning. He's got your number too. He knows every thought you've ever had, every deed you've ever done, every word you've ever spoken, and still he loves you and is inviting you to come and see for yourself. This is the God that loves and pursues us. Nathaniel bears witness that this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus replies, wow, man, if me telling you about your time under the fig tree has impressed you, I mean, this is not a good rendering, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to see some things, Nathaniel. And then in verse 51, he says, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open. You're going to see ministry happening in spiritual ways. You're going to see things you never thought you would see. We are just getting started. Now, I want to make a comment here as a Bible study note comment to those of you that study God's Word. And if you're like me, early on in my Christian life, I would get fixated on a verse that was not the main point of the passage. The passage that I've just read to you is not about angels descending and ascending, and that's not what this is about. The passage I've just read to you is about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ transforming ordinary people who then go and tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I wonder why Jesus said what he said. Well, we don't know what Nathaniel was thinking about under the fig tree, do we? We just don't know. We don't know what he was daydreaming about. It's not revealed to us. We can ask him in heaven. I got a few other people I want to meet with, a few other questions. This is on the list, though, right? Must have been important to mention it in the text. But I want to just encourage you with this. I don't want to reach too far here, but let me just suggest to you something. In the text that Jesus references from Genesis 28, that's where we know it from, Jacob's ladder, we refer to it as. Now remember, Nathaniel knew and loved what we now call the Old Testament. He knew his Bible. And Jesus scratched an itch for him because that may have been in Nathaniel's mind. Like, I wonder if Nathaniel thought, I wonder if I'll ever get to see anything like that. I don't know. The text doesn't support that. I'm just saying, based on the way Je where Jesus went and all the scripture he could have gone to, he goes there. I wonder what was on Nathaniel's mind. Let me tell you where Jacob was in that moment. Jacob felt so alone. And so unsure of what was going to happen next when he was at Bethel. J Jacob was not sure where God was. He, he felt like God was a million miles away. And God met him in a special way. Could it be that Nathaniel felt like God was a million miles away from him under that tree? I don't know. 
What about you? I don't know what you're thinking right now. Do you think God is a million miles away from you? He's not. He sees you. He knows you. And he wants to show you great and mighty things that you know not of. What kind of things, Pastor? Ooh, ooh, you've got my attention. That he can love you knowing everything about you. That his grace is sufficient for anything that you will ever experience. That he has already met all of your needs in Christ Jesus. This is the God that we serve. God knows and he cares. I can't give you a precise meaning of why I went there, but I can tell you, God knows, he sees, and he cares. Julia's coming now as we are about to prepare for communion. I want to give you just a bit of application for this. This is narrative. It's a rare thing in New Testament to get it this fast moving where four encounters with four different people really have a very similar makeup. God used these ordinary men in extraordinary ways. John's gospel took us back to the beginning before time was. God was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then he took us through creation. All things were made by him and through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Then John, in this first chapter, takes us past the baptism of Jesus, where he recounts what happened at the baptism, and then says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This morning, he's brought us to the call of the first disciples. How will the message of Jesus Christ get out to the world? How will the new kingdom be announced? How will anyone discover that Jesus is the lamb who can take away the sins of the world? Do we need the angels to do something special? No. I'm glad you asked. Ordinary people like you. Ordinary people like you who will say yes to Jesus, which means saying no to ourselves, repenting of our sins, putting our faith and trust in Him, saying yes to Jesus. Ordinary people become disciples. And what do disciples do? Well, disciples follow Jesus, are changed by Jesus, and point others to Jesus. Now, wait a minute. You're like, Chad, I know, that's impressive. The ministry of Nathaniel, the ministry of Philip, the ministry of Andrew, the ministry of John the Baptist. I will never be one of them. No, I, that's not the goal here. But you know what disciples actually are? You want the uh, breakdown of the word? Here it is. Ordinary Christians, according to the Bible, follow Jesus, are changed by Jesus, and call others to Jesus. It's the way our partners do it in Bangalore. It's the way it happened in our lives. And it's the way your friends and your family and your coworkers will be reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the wonderful meetings I had this week with so many, one meeting I had was with a man who was talking about all the growth that's coming into South End. And he said, and I quote, somebody's gotta do something. And I had this moment, it won't shock many of you who've been around me for more than 10 minutes, but I had this moment, Julia, and I said, what does that mean? What does that mean, somebody's got to do something? What are you talking about? Throw an event? Put on a party to attract a lot of people to a party and then wonder why they won't plug into the church and make disciples? I'm equipping the body 
The work of what we're trying to do is equip God's people to be on mission everywhere they go so that they're ready to give an answer for the hope that they have. The way we're going to reach these apartments is if we see men and women and boys and girls follow Jesus, get changed by Jesus, and tell people they know and love about Jesus. There's no event that's going to draw them anymore. Not an event that's going to make disciple-making disciples. The church does what the church does best when the church is the church. And that's us living on purpose with intentionality, recognizing we are not our own. We have been bought with a price and God has signed us up for the great work that he's called us to do. Jesus says, come and see. John said, behold the lamb. Andrew says, we found the Christ. Philip says, we found the one the scriptures promised. Nathaniel says, this is the son of God. What are you saying about Jesus? What's your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. A witness is one who is following him. I don't know if you pick up on this. I've said it a couple times. One who's been changed by him and one who will tell others about him. Can I get a witness? Can he get a witness? Will you be that witness? Let's pray. Lord, as we consider your holiness, Father, we tremble before you.